If you're a landscape photographer, I would bet that one of these four key concepts are going to be something that you don't quite fully understand or something that'll help you to take better photos. We're covering the four key concepts in today's episode. What is going on, everybody? This is your host, Austin James Jackson here. Welcome back to the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast, episode number 26, I believe. So excited to have you guys here for this particular episode. On this episode, I actually don't have another guest. I'm going to be trying out another solo episode where I am just going to be talking. Hopefully, you can stand to listen to my voice for that long. But I think that in today's episode, I'm going to have some things that are really, really helpful for those of you guys that are landscape photographers. Now, whether you've got a lot of experience shooting or you're someone that's newer to the game or some anywhere in between, I think that this episode is going to help you and hopefully uh, some of these concepts are things that you don't understand. The topic of today's episode is four key concepts that most landscape photographers do not understand. I know this because I lead workshops, I browse the internet, look at other landscape photos, and I know that there's so many photographers that don't understand these key concepts. So in today's episode, I want to help you understand some of these concepts that people don't understand in order to help you hopefully take better photos. So I don't want to wait any further. Let's go ahead and jump in there to the first key concept that most people don't understand. That key concept is how important light is. Light is absolutely the most important thing in your photo. A lot of landscape photographers know this, but they still don't necessarily practice this. There's way too many photographers that are focused on getting those nice clouds at sunset or at sunrise, when in reality, getting that really nice light is just so much better. It's so important. You need that nice light. Look back through your portfolio. The most dynamic photos you have, the most jaw-dropping photos are going to be the ones where you have uh, some really, really nice light. Ideally, you have a nice sunset. You have nice light as well. Maybe some sun coming through. You're shooting into the sun. You're shooting away from the sun. You have some light on your foreground, whatever it is. But light is so important. I see so many photographers out there especially as sunrise, you see a lot of people go out there and they're shooting and maybe you get some good clouds for sunrise and the clouds start to go away and the sun starts to come up and people stop shooting. They leave because uh, they think they got the great shot with the great clouds. Now, while the nice clouds, of course, are nice and everybody likes to look at nice clouds, if you wait and get that sunlight, it is going to be so much better of a photo. Now, why is this? In my opinion, uh, because I think that that sunlight lighting up your foreground creates a much more dynamic photo. You know, you've got a lot brighter spots, a lot darker spots in the photo when that sun comes through and people just like photos where there is some sunlight, where it's lighting up the foreground. So one thing that I always like to do, if you do want to get those good clouds and the sunlight as well, you can do a blend. I've got some videos on my YouTube channel. You guys can check out where I talk about concepts like this, but essentially you can take photos at sunrise or at sunset and then blend those with photos of the sun coming through. Now, these aren't going to be like random suns that you've shot on different days or used AI to generate. These are, you're going to leave your tripod in the same exact spot and you're just going to capture the sun 
like or the sunlight on the on the foreground um, while you're out there shooting and then you're going to blend that in later it's actually really easy to do it's how you're going to make your photos look really really nice if you ever see a photo from a photographer you really like where they've got beautiful clouds and a beautiful sun uh, or beautiful light a lot of times those photos are blends and they look realistic um, and they ultimately help you to kind of blend maybe 10 minutes of time together to kind of show the absolute best of both worlds. So light is so important. Always shoot the light. If you don't have a great sunset or sunrise, don't shoot the boring blue sky. Find where that light is going. Throw on your telephoto lens and capture photos that way. But don't get caught into the trap of the wide angle looking for those nice pink clouds. You have to look for the light. I've found so many great photo ops on days where it's totally blue sky. I wasn't thinking I was going to get any good shots. I slapped on my telephoto and I chased the light. So always chase the light, whether it's with your telephoto when there's no clouds or your wide angle lens when there's really beautiful clouds in a nice landscape as well. But you always absolutely 100% must understand that light is absolutely the most important thing in your landscape photography. Now, number two, if you strive for realistic looking photos, less editing is almost always more. And obviously uh, it's not always more. That doesn't make sense. But um, in a sense, less editing is going to make your photo look better. It's kind of what I mean. When you do less editing, you have a lot better chance of your photo looking realistic because if you go and look at photos online, like just go on to a Facebook group or scroll through your Instagram and look through and note all the photos that you think look unrealistic. I'm going to guess probably nine times out of 10, the unrealistic looking photos are over edited. It's hardly ever that an under edited photo looks unrealistic. It's always going to be over editing. Photographers are trying to do too much. I totally know where you're at. You know, I was in your shoes six, seven, eight years ago. I was trying to make crazy things happen to my landscapes. I thought that was the trick. I thought these guys that were out there taking the best photos were the people that knew how to pull all the right strings in Photoshop and create the best sunsets and the best conditions. And sure, there's a few people out there that are just phenomenal at that kind of thing. But if you want to create those realistic looking photos, less editing is more. I've gotten to the point on my personal photos now, or my landscape photography work, I should say, where I am doing so little editing. Uh, Obviously, I'm doing a a little bit, but I'm probably spending 20 minutes on a photo. I used to spend three, four, five plus hours editing a photo because I was dodging and burning and trying to make crazy things happen. And I'm still doing a little dodging and burning here and there, but I'm not going crazy with painting in light all over the place. You know, I'm trying to keep that realistic look. I'm doing some contrast adjustments. I'm doing some hue and saturation adjustments. um, And that's ultimately about it. I might be adding a little bit of glow here or there, but I'm not going crazy with the editing. If you look at someone's photo and you think that you need to do more editing to match their style, you are wrong. Um, Do less editing. Trust me. Most importantly, I think one thing that people don't understand about this key concept for the realistic looking photos is white balance. Your white balance is absolutely critical. I see it so often, especially this time of year, you know, it's uh, end of October right now. And this time of year, so many people are posting fall photos. Like every other fall photo I see, 
the fall colors I can tell maybe weren't so great in their photo. And so they try to compensate by making their photo far too warm. Uh, when you warm up the white balance to make your trees look yellow, yes, the trees look yellow, but then things that aren't supposed to look yellow also are yellow and it gives an unrealistic look. You have to get that white balance neutral in order to have that realistic looking photo. That means that if you've got things like grass, you want the grass to be green. The trees should be yellow. The sky should be blue. You need to have these things that are key indicators in your frame that people know what color they are. They need to still be a neutral color. Now, especially with the most recent update in Lightroom, there's some really great stuff for the HSL uh, sliders to be able to adjust your colors to just target um, maybe the color of the trees to make it a little bit better. I've got a video on my YouTube channel as well. I'll link that in the podcast notes here if you want to check that out. But please, 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 please understand White balance is so dang important. You have to have a neutral white balance. Even if you think it already is neutral when you shoot it, um, I shoot on auto white balance. Um, Usually my camera does a pretty good job. When I go back through on my editing, I usually think, okay, it looks pretty good, but I will always, always adjust the white balance, both the temperature and the tint. And I will usually find that I like to adjust just a hair to make it a little more neutral. A lot of times I'll like cool my photo down, uh, even if I think that, you know, the photo looks fine. And then when I do before and after, I realize, oh, the cooled down version looks much more realistic. There was a little yellow yellow tint, uh, or beforehand. So really easy way to do that. Go into Lightroom, click on where you have your little box that adjusts the temperature and the tint. Do one at a time. Uh, you click on the number where it says like, for example, like 5,500, um, you could type in a number to change the temperature of your photo. Um, click on that box so that it's selected and then hold shift and use your up and down arrow keys on your keyboard. That'll allow you to really slowly move, um, to either cool or warm your photo. Uh, it's, it's far easier to do it in moderation like that than when you click and slide with your mouse. So that's the way I like to do it for temperature and tint. So it's so important that you nail that. I've said it enough, but white balance is so critical. If you want those realistic looking photos, I've found that that is by far the number one most important thing. White balance has to be right. If your white balance is wrong, it's like having a bad foundation to your house. It's never going to last. Your photo is not going to look good. You have to have that good foundation. Set it up with a good white balance before you start your edit. Trust me, feel free to go back and adjust it later, but you have to get it pretty close uh, before you start your edit or else it's like a house of cards. It's just going to all come crumbling down. I want to take a break from today's episode and talk about a really cool opportunity if you are a beginner or intermediate photographer that is really serious about taking better photos and getting better at photography. Now, usually about four to six times a year, I teach in-person workshops around the Western United States centered around helping you become a better photographer. Now, my workshops are kept to just five people, which means that you will get plenty of one-on-one attention. So regardless of your skill level, whether you just picked up your first camera or whether you've been shooting for 15 years, I promise you, you're going to get so much out of it. I'm going to cater the class directly to you. Best of all, after the workshop, I'm going to add you to my alumni group on Facebook where you can get literally weekly image feedback. We can connect at all times. Uh, When the workshop is over, it's not done. I'm still going to be your mentor. I'm going to be there to help you and become better at photography. Now, like I said, if you're serious about becoming better at photography, don't wait any longer. Register for one of my workshops this year. You can visit austinjamesjackson.com slash workshops. That link will be down below in the podcast description that you can click on as well. I really can't wait to see you guys out there.
Number three on the key concepts that most landscape photographers don't understand is that you don't need megapixels. You need dynamic range. I think we as a photography community get like a huge fantasy every time a new camera comes out. Um, and it's like more megapixels than the last one. And you, if you know me very well, you're probably thinking, Austin, you are the absolute least qualified person to talk about this. You're shooting with a Sony a seven R four. It's 60 megapixels. What the heck are you doing? So let me explain myself here. Um, dynamic range is by far the most important spec on a camera for a landscape photographer. Dynamic range essentially is if when you're shooting in raw and you, let's say you shoot a photo of the sky and there's some foreground, um, you're going to expose for the sky where you're not going to blow out the sky. So you're going to have a proper exposure for your sky. Your foreground is going to be dark and in the shadows. Now having more dynamic range allows you to bring that sky down a little bit more and bring your foreground up a little bit more without having to deal with noise or artifacting or, uh, just weird things like that, that weird imperfections essentially. So the more dynamic range you have, the better your camera can capture the difference between the brightest spot and the darkest spot on your photo. Why is this important for landscape photography? Well, because usually we're shooting in scenes where there's a lot of dynamic range. We're shooting sunsets and sunrises where there's really dark foreground and really bright sky. So you need that dynamic range. Now, a lot of people are sitting here and they are probably thinking right now, or they're wanting to tell me that uh, they don't need dynamic range because they know how to do an HDR. In Lightroom, you can do an HDR blend, which is where you're going to bracket your exposures. So you're going to take like a faster exposure and a shorter exposure. Then you're going to blend the two together so you get the best of both worlds. Let me tell you, this concept works for people that really, really know what they're doing and have been doing it a long time. But when you have photographers out there that have a really good eye for it, have been doing it a long time, know all the tips and tricks, and they're telling these newer photographers that haven't done it, oh, just bracket it in HDR. Those newer photographers, I promise you, their photos will look unrealistic, which goes back to the second point here. But when you use HDR, it's really hard to make it look realistic. It's really hard to not have ghosting and artifacting and issues on the edge. So by having a camera with more dynamic range, you're able to capture that scene without having to do an HDR blend. Now, this kind of full circle moment here goes back to my Sony a7R5. I don't have it for the 60 megapixels. I have it because uh, it is one of the best cameras on the market for dynamic range. This isn't like a huge ad for Sony or anything. Um, most of the top of the line Nikon cameras and some of the top of the line Canon cameras also have fantastic dynamic range. So any of those work, but you do want a lot of dynamic range. Megapixels, of course, is nice. I mean, uh, if I had to choose, of course, more megapixels is better than less. It allows you to make some bigger prints and things like that uh, and do some more cropping and whatever. But dynamic range is so much more important. Camera manufacturers don't usually talk about it or make a big deal about it when they release a camera. But dynamic range is so important. You want to have as much dynamic range as possible um, just because that HDR is going to look awful a lot more often than it's going to look good unless you have a lot of experience. So the fourth and final key concept here that most landscape photographers don't understand, um, this one I'm going to call like having the right gear and not having too much gear. It's kind of a blended concept here. Find the right gear for yourself. Call it good. More gear is not always better. First and foremost, I'll say you don't need tons of filters. Um, having one CPL or circular polarizer and a couple of ND filters, maybe a five stop and a 10 stop, um, for your largest lens will do. 
Um, if you have a lot of different size lenses, just get a step up ring, go on Amazon, buy a step up ring that allows you to go from like, say you had a smaller lens that was 49 millimeter, uh, filter size. And you had a larger one that was 82. You would buy a 49 to 82, uh, step up ring on Amazon. It's going to cost you like five or $10. And then you can just keep using the same filters. So all you need is one circular polarizer and then like one or two ND filters. You can use them with all your lenses if you have the right size step up rings. Um, and the other thing, that I really want to note here is you absolutely don't need to have all of these crazy filters that these filter companies are releasing. First of all, I think that the front element filters um, that you'll see a lot of like photographers that have been shooting a long time or people with a lot of experience have been using. I've used those filters. Trust me, you do not need them. You absolutely do not need them. Uh, the only reason you need them is if you have one of those lenses where there's like a bubble on the front, so you can't put a filter, but a lot of those, you're still better off putting a fil one of the like rear filters in. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I just wanted to mention that, but you don't need like these, uh, grad ND filters and, and the, the filters like that were really popular like 10, 15, 20 years ago because we didn't have cameras with great dynamic range. We didn't have easy ways to do HDR blends, but now that we have all this technology and all these better cameras and all these features, you don't need grad NDs and like these just giant filters that make you really look like you know what you're doing, but just overcomplicate things. They're just unnecessary. It's a waste of money. It's more gear that you're just going to get confused and frustrated with, and it's going to get in the way of you to capture uh, great photos, in my opinion. Additionally, a having a massive tripod is nice if you want to look like you are just the best photographer out there, but I promise you a small and lightweight tripod is fine for 99% of instances. You're going to go out shooting and less weight is going to help you travel further. I'll say that twice for the people in the back because the photography community loves, loves to get giant tripods that are so unnecessary. So you don't need that giant tripod, get a lightweight full size tripod that is going to allow you to go further without having to carry more weight, carry more gear. Um, and just get a simple ball head. Don't get one of these like crazy ball heads that does all this and all that. You don't need all that. Literally simplify your kit. If you simplify your kit, it's going to be so much easier for you to take better photos. I have found that over the years. I personally, I'll link the tripod that I use down below, but I personally use the slick carbon fiber 634 and I use it with, I can't remember what the ball head is called, but it's a really, really simple ball head. It has one knob on it. Of course I do have a little bit bigger tripod. If I am going out in conditions where it's like really, really windy, but 99% of the time I, I just use my small tripod because I'm hiking and I don't want to carry the big tripod. And to be honest with you, it, it's kind of funny to me. You see people with like giant tripods. They're like absolutely huge, like 10 pound tripods and they're putting their camera on it and they never are going to walk away. They're just going to stand right there and shoot a few photos and be done. Like if you're just going to stand there, even in the worst conditions, the lightweight tripod is fine unless it's super windy. But like since you're standing there, even if a big gust comes through, you're standing there to grab your tripod. So you don't really need that big tripod. Um, 
I've shot in a lot of really crummy conditions and my small and lightweight tripod has yet to let me down. Um, I guess knock on wood now that I say this and put this out in the universe, my tripod will probably fail me. But, um, so far it has done well for the longest time. Trust me, you don't need that big tripod. Get a little travel tripod. I'll link the one that I use down below. You can also use the code. I think it's Jackson 15. You get 15% off that as well from my friends is slick. It's a great tripod. Um, this isn't sponsored or anything, but I just, I think it's personally the best full size lightweight tripod on the market. So I'll link that down below. Now, additionally, when talking about gear, I have to mention that you don't need multiple lenses that cover the same focal length. I see this so often and it drives me nuts. The more equipment you have, the less creative you can be because you're so focused on the equipment aspect of things. You don't, I'm pretty sure I already said this, but I'm just going to say it again. You don't need multiple lenses that cover the same focal length. For example, if you have a 16 to 35 F4, you don't need to get a 24 millimeter F 2.8 or F 1.4 or whatever. I understand prime lenses with wide apertures. They're nice to have for nightscapes. Uh, they allow in a little bit more light rather than doing that and spending all your money on those lenses, learn how to use a star tracker, pick up a star tracker and use that at night because then you can like, you could shoot photos on your cell phone of the night sky with a star tracker and get really high quality images if you have it aligned right. So the gear is less important if you've got that star tracker, if you want to shoot nightscapes, if you don't shoot nightscapes, you absolutely don't need that low aperture for landscapes because there's very few instances where you would want to open up your aperture that far anyways. And the last point that I'll address that a lot of people might be thinking or not a lot, but some, the prime lenses are sharper thing. Yes. Prime lenses might be ever so slightly sharper. There's so much software now to help fix sharpness and a high quality lens, even like a high quality zoom lens is going to be like so incredibly sharp when you compare it to a prime lens, like you're not really going to be able to tell the difference in most case scenarios. So that's kind of my two cents on that. Don't have all this extra gear. I've, the longer I've been doing photography, the less gear I've actually used. I've realized like, okay, if I don't use this on like a majority of shoots, I don't really want to bring it with me because it's just one more thing to distract me to think about one more thing that can go wrong. Um, and I want to focus on being creative. I don't want to focus on like all of the technicalities of the gear. So don't have too much gear, just get exactly what you need. Call it good. More gear is not always better. So those are my four key concepts that I think that most landscape photographers don't understand. I see a lot of people making these mistakes with this gear, and I really hope that this was helpful for you guys so that you can hopefully take a couple of these, bring them back home and think about them and apply them to your own workflow uh, to help you guys to take better photos. As you guys know, um, that's my thing here on the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast. I want to help you guys level up and become the best photographer that you can be. Uh, as quickly as possible, whether you are someone that wants to become a full-time landscape photographer, or you're just someone that wants to take beautiful photos to put on the wall. Regardless, I think we all share the same goal in that we want to take better photos. We can all get better. There's room for everybody to get better. So I hope that sharing some of my experiences, um, can help you to maybe follow in my footsteps, maybe avoid some of the mistakes that I made and help you to create some better photos. 
Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast. We're going to be back next week with another guest on here. So make sure to subscribe if you guys haven't already. As always, I really, really appreciate your guys' support. I've been having a lot of fun doing the podcast. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you guys next time. This is Austin James Jackson signing out.